This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. As mentioned on last week's show, we expect to talk in our second segment today with local author Sherry holbrook Labatus about her experiences registering voters in the southern part of the United States during the Civil Rights Movement in 1965. Her book titled, You Came Here to Die, Didn't You?, subtitled Registering Black Voters One Soul at a Time, South Carolina 1965, is a most compelling read. We're anxious to talk with her about it in our second segment today. And we should note that we have Mark Hertzgard scheduled for next, next week's program, the author of Hot, Living the Next 50 Years on Earth. And I regret to note that although we said on last week's program where we were, kinda, we were gonna try and get uh, a businessman Dean Cortapassi to talk to us about his provocative uh, advertising he placed in the Sacramento Bee, Mr. Cortapassi has politely declined to appear on this program, but we're hoping someone out there listening will uh, continue to prevail upon him to come join us and talk about his efforts to shoot down California's peripheral canal. A rather nefarious scheme we've been, we've been talking about uh, for some time on this program, and we'll continue to do so, hopefully at some point with Mr. Cortapassi. Let's begin today's program, as we like to do, with On This Date in History. Our date in question is the 31st of March. The month of March, of course, traditionally comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb. Considering the weather we've been having this month in Northern California, it's been rather lion-like with lots and lots of rain and unprecedented amounts of snow. So I know a lot of you are waiting for spring to arrive, and uh, it's, it's going to get here. But I would note, if you haven't had a chance to get your fill of skiing in, this is a rare opportunity to do so in the month of April. But today's date is March 31st, and it was on March 31st in 1492 that Spain's Catholic rulers, Ferdinand and Isabella, issued an edict ordering all Jews to convert to Christianity or be expelled from the country. About 40,000 chose exile. It was these same pair of monarchs who decided to celebrate the final expulsion of Muslims from Spain by uh, (laughs) taking a chance on Christopher Columbus and an expedition to the New World, which kind of worked out well for them. Uh, They were not, however, champions of religious freedom. And it was on March 31st in 1631 that the English poet John Donne passed away. He was perhaps best known for the immortal lines, Never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. It was on March 31st in 1776 that feminist and future First Lady of the United States Abigail Adams writes to her husband, future U.S. President John Adams, who at the time was in Philadelphia drafting laws for independence, and urges him to consider women's rights. Remember the ladies, she said. Remember, all men would be tyrants if they could. But alas, as the U.S. won its independence from Britain and established its own form of government, women were not given the vote. They did not gain that right until 1920. On this date in 1840, U.S. President Martin Van Buren struck a blow for government employees by establishing a 10-hour workday. And on March 31st in 1959, the Dalai Lama, fleeing the Chinese suppression of a national uprising in Tibet, crossed the border into India. 
where he was granted political asylum. The former Tenzin Gyatso was designated the 14th Dalai Lama in 1940. At the beginning of the 20th century, Tibet increasingly came under Chinese control. And in 1950, Mao's communist China invaded Tibet. With the beginnings of the Cultural Revolution in China in the 1960s, Chinese suppression of Tibetan Buddhism escalated. The practice of the religion was banned and thousands of monasteries were destroyed. The exiled Dalai Lama won widespread international support for the Tibetan independence movement and in 1989 was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Our quote of the day comes from one of our favorites, Orson Welles, who once said, My doctor told me to stop having intimate dinners for four, unless there are three other people present. And our quote of the day comes from another one of our favorites, the immortal Will Rogers, who once said, Mixing politics and religion is like mixing manure and ice cream. It doesn't do much to the manure, but it surely does ruin the ice cream. For our joke of the day, we are again going to go to the Dave Barry calendar, which has some food for thought for the upcoming uh, tax day, April 15th. Said Dave Barry, perhaps the most common question asked by taxpayers is, what exactly am I allowed to deduct as a business expense? The answer depends on the type of work you do. For example, let's say you're a university provost. You can deduct any expense you want because no one has a clue what provost means. Legally, the IRS cannot touch you. IRS agent, Mr. Fremkin, I see here that you're claiming a $17,000 business deduction for inflatable camels. Taxpayer, that is correct. I am a university provost. IRS agent, can you explain what that job entails? Taxpayer, no. IRS agent, then I have no choice but to allow it. And by the way, if anyone out there listening actually knows what a provost does, please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. Our stat of the day, maybe a couple stats of the day, come from the Wall Street Journal. This one's kind of sad, but apparently, if given a choice between Charlie Sheen and Sarah Palin for president, 44% of Democratic voters said they'd choose Sheen. (laughs) 24% said they'd vote for Palin. If given a choice between Charlie Sheen and President Obama, 37% of Republicans say they'd vote for Sheen, while 28% would reluctantly opt for the president. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Republicans in this country would prefer Charlie Sheen to be president of the United States over Barack Obama. Here's a bonus stat. It's not a good one either. Apparently cats kill about 500 million birds a year in the U.S., More than 1,000 times the number of birds killed by power-generating wind turbines. The American Bird Conservancy says it's time to stop minimizing and trivializing the impacts that outdoor cats have on the environment. All right, from our letters section, we have one, not to us, but to Marilyn Vos Savant in Parade Magazine. This is one we tried to address in this program years ago. We're unable to come up with a satisfactory answer, but Marilyn has come to the rescue. She was asked, what is the difference between a philharmonic and a symphony orchestra? 
said Marilyn Vosavant. None, really. Both of them played the same kind of music, Baroque, classical, romantic, and modern, with the same instruments. The only difference, and it's a slight one, is in the connotation of the names Philharmonic. Sounds a bit more formal, and implies that the orchestra arose from a society of music lovers. Symphony refers simply to the works that are played. Well, there you have it. I do think, in retrospect, Woody Allen chose correctly when in a scene from his first movie, Take the Money and Run, his girlfriend Louise Lasser visits him in jail, shocked to find out that he's a criminal. And apparently in a mood of coming clean, Woody picks up the phone and says to her, I'm not with the Philharmonic. All right, in some follow-up, we talked uh, a couple weeks ago about uh, the dubiousness of the current state of probiotics. And naturally, physician, I received a coupon... (laughs) within minutes of that uh, of that program about a new type of yogurt billed as probiotic yogurt with an exclusive culture that helps naturally regulate your digestive system. Apparently the key bacteria in this yogurt, bifidus regularis. I don't know. Yogurt's a good food stuff. It may help your gut somewhat, but it's uh, it's no miracle food, that's for sure. Why don't we jump into the good the bad and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for giving up drugs after former Van Halen guitarist Sammy Hagar claimed that aliens once visited him and, quote, plugged into me, unquote, changing him forever. Said Hagar, they uploaded something from my brain, like an experiment. It was real. So I guess the lyrics uh, from uh, Love Comes Walking In might make a little more sense. Some kind of alien waits for the opening, simply pulls a string. I think I liked the song better before this new revelation. And of course, we may be interpreting it wrong. We'll have to consult our good friend, Dr. Andy Jones, from uh, Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour about um, maybe what this all means. All right, it was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for David Charles... Schubert, the Las Vegas assistant district attorney who prosecuted Paris Hilton and singer Bruno Mars on cocaine charges after he himself was charged with buying crack cocaine. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for consistency in the wake of the news that a far-right German politician underwent a sex change and has now returned to the political fray as a woman and a socialist. Reportedly, Monica Strub, formerly Horst Strub, now dismisses her years with Germany's neo-Nazi National Democratic Party as a youthful transgression and insists that she has fundamentally changed her outlook. Strub is now a member of the Socialist Left Party, and a party spokesman said, quote, there is absolutely no doubt as to her political bearing, unquote. Well, maybe. Let's, but let's see if Monica can stay the course for a while, shall we? 
And from the Only in America file, which I think we're going to rename the Thanks to Lawyers files, since most of the items seem to result from the ridiculous antics of American lawyers. Case in point, item number one. A manager for fashion house Eli Tahari is suing the firm for $2 million because it made him work in unstylish New Jersey. Thomas Horodecki, age 36, says the strain of leaving Manhattan for the traffic and strip malls of Tahari's boutiques in Hackensack and Paramus, New Jersey, led to a mental breakdown. It was the smog, said Horodecki, and the stores are kind of cheesy for the most part. Ladies and gentlemen, if that isn't the foundation for a solid lawsuit, I don't know what is. If you find yourself stuck in job environments that are kind of cheesy, of course, pick the phone up and call your lawyer. All right, item number two. The town of Hopewell, also in New Jersey, wants to ban chickens from from mating on all but 10 days of the year. Apparently, backyard chicken rearing is increasingly popular there, but officials have proposed limiting roosters to brief conjugal visits to cut down on noisy crowing. Explained Hopewell Mayor James Bird, you never can tell exactly when a rooster will crow. All right, we've done only in America. Let's see, how about uh, Jackass of the Week? That's a feature we have on this program intermittently. We try to reserve this segment uh, for occasions where someone's really being a jackass. And so it is that this week we give the award to the Westboro Baptist Church for their efforts to picket the funeral of anti-AIDS activist and, of course, Academy Award-winning actress Elizabeth Taylor. Taylor, who was arguably the last great star of Hollywood's golden era, died uh, six weeks after being admitted to Los Angeles' Cedars-Sinai Hospital with congestive heart failure. Liz Taylor is quite a remarkable figure, and we probably should talk about her in our, in our obituary section. Perhaps not today, but certainly at some point. But uh, the Westboro Baptist Church has, of course, become infamous for picketing the funerals of U.S. soldiers. They carry signs at these events, these tragic events, stating things like, God hates fags, in their typically offensive fashion. Marjorie Phelps, daughter of the church's leader, Fred Phelps, said about Taylor, she's joined Michael Jackson and Heath Ledger in hell. Writing about this horrible group in the Week magazine last month, or at least as repeated from uh, his comments in in the Kansas City Star, Mike Hendricks said, it's time we stop being played for suckers by the Westboro Baptist Church. The Phelps family, which runs this so-called church, is nothing more than a hate group that seeks attention for its message, which is that God hates fags. The U.S. Supreme Court recently affirmed church members' constitutional right to act like jerks at military funerals, where they picket and wave signs saying that U.S. soldiers are dying as God's punishment for the country's tolerance of gay people. Hendricks notes that the best way to fight the Phelps family's assaults on human decency is not to censor them, but to ignore them. In the 1990s, the Kansas City media decided to stop covering this Topeka-based clan's demonstrations outside funerals for gay people. Frustrated, head preacher Fred Phelps, a disbarred lawyer, then came up with an even more outrageous way to get noticed beyond his home turf. Protest military funerals. 
Hendricks says the national media should follow Kansas City's lead. Ignoring the Phelps family won't make them disappear, at least not immediately, but denying them the attention they crave would be desirable. One thing lost in all this discussion about the Westboro Baptist Church is that uh, they appear to be a family of lawyers who like to push the envelope, not just because it gets to promote their uh, radical, anti-gay stance, but that they can also profit from this. It turns out when various jurisdictions have tried to uh, curtail the efforts of this group, which includes carrying signs that say things like, thank God for IEDs at military funerals, also thank God for 9-11, they've also protested Jewish institutions holding up signs that say, God hates Jews, and the ever-popular, the Jews killed Jesus. But uh, we think it's really quite horrible that uh, this group, it's just a combination of so many bad things. Narrow-minded Christian bigotry, mixed with anti-Semitism, mixed with legal profiteering. But having said all this, it's probably, uh, probably correct to follow Mike Hendricks' lead and just have the media ignore these weasels. And you know, although we're hard on lawyers in this program, we would suggest that some of you out there who are in law school or are practicing lawyers, step in and do something about this, will you? I mean, there must be some legal avenues that can promote decency, aren't there? And by the way, our opinions expressed on the Westboro Baptist Church, and for that matter, lawyers, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the Regents of the University of California. But I tell you, we're standing by the Jackass of the Week Award to those people in Kansas. Since we're talking about rotten behavior, um, I thought I would read a, uh, an excerpt from a blog that I thought was curious some months back and wasn't quite sure where to put it in the show. I guess this is a good point. This comes from our, our favorite blog, that of News From Me by Mark Evanier. Mark makes regular appearances at the annual WonderCon conference in San Francisco, which is this coming weekend. Some of you may want to check that out. But he wrote last November, For some reason, I got to thinking recently about a kid named Travis who was in my third grade class at Westwood Elementary. Travis was one of those me, me, me guys who wanted what he wanted and wanted it right away. And that was it. Nothing mattered in the world except what Travis wanted. He stole things from other kids. He lied left and right, often for no visible reason. He misbehaved constantly and blamed everyone else. But his finest hour came one morning when our teacher, Mrs. Reed, decided to show us how bread was baked. There was a small stove in the teacher's lounge, and the whole class crammed in there to watch her break eggs, sift flour, and such. Before long, the air was filled with the most wonderful smell of hot cinnamon. Mrs. Reed did a head count, including herself and the student teachers. There were 40 of us, so she carefully cut the bread into 40 pieces of equal size. One by one, we were to walk up to the table and each take our one piece. So Jeanette went up and took her piece, and Ricky took, went up and took his piece, and Cindy walked up and took her piece, and then Travis walked up and grabbed about eight pieces. Before anyone could stop him, he licked five of the pieces and crammed the other three in his mouth, thereby laying claim to all of them. Mrs. Reed shrieked. The other students booed, and his response was, <laughs> full of cinnamon bread, to say, I want it, I want it. A student teacher scurried up and grabbed the rest of the bread away before he could get his hands on any more of it. Travis was sent off to the principal's office. He did not return to class that day. The next morning, Mrs. Reed asked me to go to the principal's office, not because I was in trouble, but because I was needed there. I soon found myself in a meeting with the principal, Travis, and the father of Travis. My initial impression was that I could have picked Travis's father out of a crowd with great ease. He looked exactly like his son, but older and pudgier. I would soon learn that selfishness is apparently heredity as well. 
The father was annoyed he had to take time off from work to come in. I'd been brought in as a kind of a witness. Since the principal hadn't been present for the incident, Mrs. Reed sent her most trustworthy student to describe what happened. I felt a brief twinge of maybe I shouldn't rat out a fellow pupil, but it wasn't exactly a secret what had transpired. I was just saving Mrs. Reed from having to leave the class and come down to the meeting. I politely told what had occurred and underscored the fact that I'd been cheated out of half a slice of bread. When I finished, the principal asked Travis if my account was accurate. He agreed it was. Then she looked over at the father to wait his comment, and when it came, I couldn't have been more surprised. He didn't see what the problem was. In fact, he was rather proud of his boy. In this world, he said, you have to grab for everything you can get. You have to knife the other guy before he can knife you, because he will. He then turned to his son and said, good work. I vividly recall the expression on my, the principal's face. She told me I could go back to class. I left her pondering what she could do in this situation. She couldn't exactly punish Travis for being the lad his folks had raised him to be. An hour or so later, the principal's assistant came in and cleared out Travis's desk. We never saw him again, which did not disturb anyone. I recall the incident with Travis vividly. It was my first real understanding that real people, i.e. those not on television, could be bad people. Though in later years, I would substitute other more nuanced adjectives for bad. I like to think he outgrew that all-encompassing selfishness. A lot of kids I knew did do an absolute 180 from what they were in school. But who knows? I do encounter a lot of people from time to time who remind me of Travis, and I see quite a few of them on news talk programs. Anyway, I hope that uh, Mark is right and that kid did do a 180 from his uh, school days, but, you know, that's the kind of guy that grows up to become the pastor of the Westboro Baptist Church, don't you think? All right, let's take a short break. When we come back, we're going to speak with a very interesting author about her very interesting book. Sherry Holbrook Labitas is the author, and her book is You Came Here to Die, Didn't You? You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll be back in a minute. Stay tuned. <laughs> 